The whole idea is that it wasn't a shot in a beer kind of place that we were trying to build. It was an experience. It was lively, lively music, full color, very much like a place you would find in Barcelona. More kind of like, this is who we are. Come see us. You can't miss the place. It has a full mural on the outside of the joint. If this was in the Mission or in Ashbury, nobody would blink an eye. But it's in the middle of North Beach. So, of course, we are sticking out. But that's who we wanted to be. We wanted to make our own thing. From Studio Pod Media, this is the Muddler Podcast. The Muddler exists to tell stories behind your favorite cocktail bars. Cocktail bars become beloved by their patrons for many different reasons. Everything from the vibe, friendly service, convenient location, great music, and of course, the delicious, well-crafted cocktails. But each bar has its own unique story why it exists and how it came to be, as well as the cocktails made and who actually serves them. I'm TJ Bonaventura, and I'm the host of The Muddler. On each episode, we'll sit down with the owners and bar managers behind some of the most innovative and forward-thinking bars around. Each season, we'll center around cocktail bars in a specific city. Up first, San Francisco. Before we get started, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Golden Rule Spirits. So Golden Rule Spirits is a producer of two canned cocktails, the Old Fashioned and the Margarita. I know what you're thinking, canned cocktails, not really my thing, but I'm telling you guys, if you like a good crafted cocktail, you're going to love these drinks. They're perfect for going to the golf course, for bringing them on the road, vacation, camping, and they are dangerously good. They're about the quarter size of a normal can. You pop these bad boys open, you throw them over ice, and you're good to go. So again, Golden Rule Spirits, goldenrulespirits.com, at Golden Rule Spirits on IG. Check them out. The first thing that catches your eye about the newly opened Red Window Bar and Restaurant is an explosion of color. From the beautifully painted murals on the restaurant's exterior walls, the bright interior, from the parklets adorning the space's sidewalks, the literal red windows themselves, Red Window makes a statement with its physical presence. Situated at the intersection of Columbus and Stockton in San Francisco's historic North Beach neighborhood, Red Window couldn't have handpicked a more well-located spot for potential customers. Red Window is right in the heart of Little Italy, one of, if not the most walkable neighborhoods in the entirety of San Francisco. Staples of the area like Tony's Pizza, Park Tavern, Golden Boy Pizza are mere steps away from the restaurant, not to mention Washington Square Park just a block north. And that doesn't even include nearby tourist attractions like Coit Tower and Fisherman's Wharf that keep the foot traffic high in the area. You'd think that Red Window hardly needed to go to such lengths to attract customers in an area with so much going on. But once you meet part owner and managing partner Elmer Mexicanos and learn a little bit more about what's driving his new business, the picture starts to take shape. Elmer has worked in North Beach for 15 years. In fact, he's hardly left one block of the city in that whole time. He started working at Original Joe's and has managed the bar program at Tony's Pizza for 11 years. Italian food owns the scene in North Beach. It's nearly impossible to count all the restaurants that serve pizza and pasta, places where you can sit outside on Columbus Street and people watch while enjoying a post-meal espresso or gelato. With Red Window, Elmer and his partners want to do something different. They wanted to harness the European walkable feel of North Beach, but package it in a different way. Not only would the restaurant serve Spanish food instead of Italian fare, but the bar program would serve low ABV drinks in lieu of your standard cocktail menu. 
When you understand the vision to break from the long-standing tradition of its neighborhood, the explosive, colorful presence of Red Window starts to make a lot more sense. Let's talk about that concept for a second. What is the concept like? Not quite wine, not quite cocktails. It's somewhere in the middle. Obviously, this is a very fun place when you walk in. There's bright colors. You got the tree trunks and the branches. You have flowers everywhere. What is the vibe that you guys are trying to accomplish with not only just when someone walks in here, but the menu itself? I've actually worked in this neighborhood for 15 years now. And both of them were and are two Italian places, right? This is the middle of Little Italy. Yeah. We're smack right down the middle between these intersections. We are probably the first restaurant people see when they come to see Little Italy. We're on the way to the park. We're a block away from the church. Two very institutions now are just down the street, Tony's. Original Joe's. I've worked in this neighborhood and I've seen every place in and out and all the mom and pop Italian joints that are great. But I didn't want to just serve another bowl of pasta in the middle of (laughs) Italy. Because again, we're making our own path. We're creating this new thing. And I always had a thing for Spanish food and it's still very European, right? Like this neighborhood is not necessarily, I know it's Little Italy, but it's still a very European neighborhood. So Spain kind of just flies under the radar not so much with our colors and facade but i think the neighborhood just needed a different offering that is not your traditional italian restaurant i was gonna say because like being in north beach little italy you're just like okay we're gonna be the spanish place here we're just gonna own it you really are just creating (laughs) your own lane like fuck it (laughs) yeah that's basically what we did you know and the craziest part about this place is that i've worked the 15 years i've been in this neighborhood has been just down the street I've been running Tony's for 11 years now. Before that, there was a place called Original Joe's. I mean, Joe DiMaggio's before Original Joe's. I worked at that place for four years. So I've worked in those two corners for 15 years. And Red Window just happened to be just up the street. Literally a block and a half away. Well, we're part of the same block. So (laughs) they take one corner of the block, we take on the other. For me, I don't live in North Beach. I live over in the avenues. But it was always, when you're somewhere for 15 years, this is where I want to be, where I know people and, and everything just kind of came into place. But when we were looking for this place, we were actually looking in the financial district. Thank God we didn't get that place because as soon as obviously the pandemic started, everything closed down there. And North Beach, for better or worse, always stayed busy. So we dodged a bullet on that one. Yeah, I do want to talk about the pandemic in a second. I want to know, like, how much of it is for you creating the cocktail program? How do you come up with ideas, especially being lo-fi and low ABV drinks? How much of that do you need? How much of that do you use as inspiration with how the place looks? Or is it like, all right, this is what the look and feel of Red Window is going to be. And so we need cocktails to match it. Or is it actually we have an idea of what I want to make for cocktails. And I think we need to make sure the place matches what the people are going to be drinking. Is there a yin and yang there? Is it like a push pull? Like, how do you come up with that? Well, when we started designing this place, it was an overall concept. And then everything kind of started falling into place as we continue to jump through hoops to figure it out how we're going to open. Even from the beginning, I wanted the cocktail program to be based on what I know. I looked at every roadblock when it comes down to like, yeah, you don't have bourbon to work with or you don't have rum to work with. How are you going to do it? Every time I hit one of those, it gave me the chance to create a different route. And that was actually more exciting to me than opening another full liquor bar because I've done it. (laughs) I've done it a bunch of times. So this was a completely new challenge for you. Yeah. Because you mentioned before you're doing like kind of tiki drinks too. 
tiki drinks have a lot of spirits in them. <laughs> yeah, usually they're heavy booze. What we wanted to focus on for this program is on the flavors and the style and the overall experience, other than how much booze it has in the drink. You will still get drunk. I mean, it's, it has proof. It'll do the job. We add a little more than we would for obviously for regular booze so that the proof actually goes close enough to a foolproof cocktail. The only difference is that we have to add more of it, which is what it is. But the whole idea is that it wasn't a shot in a beer kind of place that we were trying to build. It was an experience. It was lively, lively music, full color, very much like a place you would find in Barcelona. More kind of like, this is who we are. Come see us. You can't miss the place. It has a full mural on the outside of the joint. If this was in the Mission or Hay Ashbury, nobody would blink an eye. But it's in the middle of North Beach. So, of course, we are sticking out. But that's who we wanted to be. We wanted to make our own thing. Elmer alluded to the fact that they were looking all over the city at prospective locations to open Red Window, including the financial district. Deciding against opening in the Fardai was a blessing in disguise as the pandemic hit and businesses in that area suffered greatly. However, the pandemic did bring its unavoidable challenges to Elmer and the team. In their case, it mostly had to do with timing. He and his business partners had targeted an opening date of spring 2020. In fact, they got the keys of the building in February 2020. He soon found out how tough that timing would be. Let's go ahead and talk about the pandemic and how you guys adjusted. You said that you opened up in March of this year. Yeah. I know that wasn't always the plan. So why don't you go ahead and just give us a little background of what you guys had to do and the story of when you got the keys. Oh, God. Now we're talking about the fun stuff. Yes, we were looking for spaces for Red Window all over the city. And then finally, our broker brought this place to our attention, which I was surprised that I didn't even look at it because I was just down the street. It was just one of these places that you knew it was closed and it was just closed. We kept looking all over the city and then finally we found it. We get the keys at the end of February. Perfect timing. <laughs> so we were like me and my two other business partners. We're excited. We're like, all right, we're going to do this cool thing. It's going to be a quick build out because we're not going to do any structural work. We're just going to focus on design and concept and let's make something fun. And it's not that big of a place inside. Exactly. It's only about 850 square feet. You have seating in here for quick math, like 25, 30 people? About 35. Okay, with the bar. Okay. With the bar, we're actually going to shake out about 40 something. When distancing was happening, we were maybe 18 seats. But we got lucky because we're in this corner. So we actually got six parking spots that we could build parklets on. Yeah, so you were almost able to triple, quadruple the amount of people that you can support now with the parklets. Yeah, we were one of those places that got really lucky that actually doubled, almost triple our capacity overnight, which is great because that's what we needed really to survive and actually open. Now that everything is opening back up, now we're going to be about 40-something inside, some more outside. We're going to shake out about 120 people Wow! when we were going to be just a 55-seat restaurant. With the spring 2020 opening now clearly out of the question, the Red Window team now had plenty of time to sit on their hands and plan out the new interior of the restaurant. They had to deal with San Francisco's permitting process for opening a new business, which became very strained during the pandemic. Elmer encountered delay after delay in securing the necessary paperwork and sign-offs to proceed with the construction and setup. Believe us when we say that Elmer could put on a masterclass in tracking down government officials and getting the go-aheads for all things permitting. Finally, after months of delay, 
Red Window hoped to open up right around the holiday season of 2020. And then the second shutdown happened. This again thwarted their plans to open up as they hoped. The constant ebbs and flows of hospitality operations during the pandemic have failed many great restaurants and bars in the last 18 months. And you can easily see why. These challenges are not easy to deal with. And Red Window had more struggles than it could imagine even before it officially opened. But with all the ups and downs, Red Window was able to pivot. And they did so with one of the coolest pandemic pivot stories we've heard so far. Yeah, exactly. So nobody could go anywhere. And it was just a second shutdown. We finally were making some progress and we were going to try to open by the end of November. We said, at least we'll get December in. We'll get some some holiday business. We'll see what happens. And the talks of the second shutdown started happening. So we hold back from hiring like 20 plus people. A week later, second shutdown. When that happened, we're like, all right, so where is the pivot? What do we do? Like, well, we have a place that's pretty much fully ready to go, but we can't use it. So we created Little Red Window. So we, we were like, all right, we always wanted to have a takeout concept. We just didn't know if it was going to be the restaurant first or the takeout second or the other way around. And obviously the city kind of made that decision for us. I mean, obviously, you couldn't have had this foresight in February of 2020, but the name Red Window like fits it pretty perfectly given the situation at hand. So how did the name Red Window come into play? Because it's ideal. like You have a window that people can come and have to go cocktails and empanadas. Yeah, the full name was obviously Red Window is the name of the big concept. And then we we're like, well, there is a little red window on the side. Shit, it all kind of like lined up where we wanted. But when we painted the windows red, it wasn't like we bought the place and we we're like, oh, well, there's red windows there. Fuck it. Let's just call it Red Window. No, we painted the windows red ourselves because that's what we wanted to name the restaurant. We said, if we're going to do have a place called Red Window, let's paint the windows red. This is the stained glass window. This is what's supposed to be the red window. Got it. It was always this like metaphor for a window to a new cocktail program, a window to a new concept. Like a window to something that hasn't been created yet or hasn't been done before. And we were just kind of making our own thing. But yeah, so Little Red Window started. We were the first place to open in 2021. We opened New Year's Day at noon. We opened Little Red Window. Got it. Yeah, so we were like, all right, we're going to do empanadas, but we're not just going to do the same thing again, right? We were like, all right, everyone's doing Argentinian empanadas. Let's just do three different countries, and then we're going to can all of our own cocktails and see what happens. Next thing you know, there's a line out the door. Like, the Chronicle comes and does a story about Little Red Window, the little empanada window that's in the middle of Little Italy. And people kept coming. And that's actually what saved this concept was the window. We had sales for two full months before we opened the restaurant. And... We put ourselves in a position that not a lot of people were in, which is we were training people to open Red Window while Little Red Window was making some revenue. And it actually flowed into the whole thing. And now we have two concepts in one. That's awesome. You know, the restaurant and the takeout. And, and Little Red Window is not going anywhere. Little Red Window is going to be its thing for as long as this restaurant is around. That's amazing. At some point, it'll probably be. We have plans for that concept to maybe go have its own little space somewhere else. But 
for now, we're just going to leave it. Let's let things open back up first. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. So what are the three different countries that you're doing empanadas from? So we're doing Mexico, which was an easy one for us because we needed a gluten-free option. And obviously it's corn, so it was just done. And then we did Spain because obviously we're a Spanish restaurant. And then Argentinian because that's what people know of empanadas, right? Like every place that's known for empanadas makes Argentinian empanadas. We wanted to one-up it and be different than everyone else, as always. It's hindsight's twenty twenty, but what if there was no little red window concept? Would you guys have you guys would have been able to open up, but it feels like it gave you guys enough cash, obviously, to hire people and it gave you enough runway and promotional material so that when Red Window opened up that people would be willing to come and, and would know about it. Could you imagine what it would be like without Little Red Window? I think we made a lot of really good decisions very quickly as far as like what we wanted this place to be. Like we wanted to be a neighborhood hub where people come in, get some drinks, get some food, really feel the hospitality. And then what I've been building for the last 15 years in this neighborhood. So when I opened Little Red Window, it was kind of like an introduction period for Red Window. Everyone that came to the window was asking, why is there a little window that sells empanadas next to a closed-down restaurant? And they're like, what the hell is going on here? But it gave us a chance to every single person that we saw, we got to explain and introduce what Red Window was going to be. Think of it, like go to any place that's building to open right now and think about someone having a chair outside and just telling everyone that walks by, this is who we're going to be. We got a chance to do that while making a little bit of money to keep us moving forward. And the neighborhood took us in. You know, North Beach is pretty good at supporting neighborhood people. And they came, like the neighborhood associations came, and they would come and buy a bunch of empanadas for their meetings and things like that. So it was awesome. That's great. And then we had, it was like a three-step for us. It was Little Red Window, and then we built the parklets. But we couldn't use them because outdoor dining wasn't allowed. So at that point, my business partner, he owns Coswells in the marina. And one of his people there, she used to run a little salsa stand, uh, one of these weekend markets. They got kicked out because I guess the restaurant needed that parking lot to actually be a restaurant. So they got kicked out of there, and they reached out to us, and they're like, hey, if you know of any place, uh, room for a, sal- for a salsa stand, let us know. And I was like, what about if you guys, because they also had ideas of putting together their own little market. So I was like, what if you guys just go talk to your people, come back to me. If you guys put together a full market, I'll let you guys use the parklets at Red Window because we have six and we can't use them for anything. Then Nana's market came to be. So we said, you can have the parklets for free. You just got to come in. Set it up yourself and clean when you're done. And for almost two months, our parklets were actually a parklet market on the weekends for all these unemployed industry people. Like they were all servers or chefs or cooks that just made their own stuff. And they came and sold it here on the weekend. And we had a little red window doing empanadas. And then we had salsas in one place. We had tamales and candles all over Stockton and Columbus. That's amazing. We started as a little window. And then we were a little window with a market. <laughs> and then finally, red window happened. It's like a billboard that actually works. Dude, you know? I tell you. like, And then everyone in the... Every bender that we had in the parklet was also talking about us because they were like, what the hell are you guys doing here? <laughs> right? Like yeah. every restaurant now is using their parklets for something else. Why is there a market here? 
They would talk to them about like what Red Window was going to be at some point. And uh, yeah, we very community driven. We always wanted to help as best we could with the situation that we had. And it worked out for everyone. And then now I think they're looking for a different location. But at some point they had like 14 or 15 vendors just selling out every weekend. And that was their thing because they couldn't work. They were out of work service workers. That's amazing. That's such a good story. I love that. I mean, it was gratifying to be part of and we needed help, but we had a chance to help other people. And we were like, it's all one thing. The hospitality industry was hit so hard and you felt it, I'm sure, yourself. And obviously you couldn't hire those workers that you wanted to at that certain point you chatted about. But allowing other vendors and people to make money, given the circumstances that you were fortunate enough to have for them and at no cost is just a testament to like who you are as a person, but also like what you were going through. At the point, they're like, all right, this is not another corporate place trying to like open this fancy place. They're like, no, it's just three crazies trying to figure it out because shit's weird right now. And it worked so far. The neighborhood has been awesome. We've been lucky enough to get a lot of really good press like Forbes and Chronicle and all that stuff after the restaurant actually opened, which is awesome because we get to employ a bunch of people now that we couldn't before. We're bringing in our writer, Joey, to talk about Golden Rule Spirits right now. We're in the studio. We're drinking the margarita. Joey, tell the people what you think of Golden Rule Margarita. I'm so glad you asked, TJ. I think that when I think of a canned cocktail, I think of something that is going to be a bit watered down from what you'd want out of an actual cocktail that you might make for yourself at home or that you might get at your favorite bar. This is not a watered down experience. The guys over at Golden Rule have put together a hearty, boozy take on the margarita and one that really lives up to the margarita itself. That's a nice way of saying this will do the job no matter what occasion you're doing. I'm about two-fifths of the way through this drink right now, and I can confirm that it's doing the job. Very precise. All right, so if anybody wants to learn more about Golden Rule Spirits, go to goldenrulespirits.com or follow them on Instagram at goldenrulespirits. I'm about 50% of the way through, TJ. Still doing the job. We loved hearing how Red Window weathered the pandemic, pivoted to a successful takeout concept, and also developed a communal feel for their restaurants by opening up their park pits to a market of outside vendors. The story shows a lot about the determination and heart of those behind the operation. We shifted to talk about the cocktail program. With a low ABV bar, Elmer had a lot of options for developing the menu, but with the Spanish focus of the food menu, he decided to lean heavily on sherry. Sherry is a fortified wine from the grapes of the Andalusian region of Spain. The wine can be produced in a variety of ways, from white wines to darker blends to dessert wines. While developed in Spain, sherry has a rich history in the U.S. as well, and Elmer wanted to lean into that history for the menu at Red Window. Thus, for the first drink we shared together, Elmer served us his sherry-based Red Window cobbler. So you have a little bit of a unique situation here because you obviously have dealt with booze for drinks before, but this being not that at, at Red Window. What was your thought process behind developing these drinks? Because I know you mentioned that a couple of them took months or around a month to come up with. So let's talk about the first drink we had, which was the cobbler. Let's talk about how you had the idea and the cobbler is a drink that you can get at other places, but let's talk about your version of it here. Yeah, so I've opened casinos, hotels, dive bars, cocktail bars, pizza places. You think of it like sushi places. I've opened all those things with different styles and I've never truly made a drink that I said, this is going to be 
your drink. The first time I've ever done that for over 15 places that I've opened in the past was a Red Window. And I said, what's the way that we can actually make our mark in the cocktail world where we have an even play on everything? What's the one drink that we can make that any other cocktail bar can make just as good? And that's when we really put our foot down and we said, the cobbler is going to be that drink. Because this is a drink that people still make at cocktail bars. And it was one of the first American cocktails that people don't know about, I think, because the sherry was a Spanish thing, but it was actually created here in the U.S. Pre-provision, doing provision, sherry cobblers were like a thing. I actually found this picture of this couple, and they were saying that they created the straw because of the cobbler. Really? Because... That was the first time people started using crushed ice. And it, it was hard to drink with crushed ice. So that's when the straw came to be. It was like a whole... I went down this rabbit hole of different stories that people said that it was like the straw came before the cobbler or the cobbler came before the straw. But it was because of the crushed ice. So I said, you know what? We're just going to... This is the drink and we're going to spend all the time. And we had, we obviously had time to work on this thing because we couldn't open. So I was like, all right, well, let's spend all the time we can to come up with the best product we can come up with that we are proud of. And a cocktail that we can truly put next to any other cocktail bar and say, like, we made it just as good and hopefully better than they could because we put so much effort and work into this thing. So how many iterations did you think you went through before you landed on the one that's on the menu right now? I would like to say it was about a little bit over 40 times I've we've tried it. Yeah, 40 times. Yeah, because it was, I mean, we went through a couple months of just like a week we would try seven, eight or different ones. And then the sherry would go bad or the fruit wasn't right. And we were testing all this stuff during winter. So a lot of things that we wanted to use for all throughout were not available or there were just shitty fruit. It would just had no flavor. That's when we started buying good stuff and then freezing it so that we could have it available. And it was a whole process of planning out the whole year so we can keep the same recipe. Obviously, right now is all the good fruits coming out again. So it's making things a lot easier. But yeah, so the cobbler was the one that we said. Red Window needs to make the best sherry cobbler in the city because that's how we make our mark in the uh, cocktail world. The one thing that I like about it, it's pretty universal, right? No matter what you're going to get on the menu, it goes well with pretty much anything. And it comes awesome. It has all these mint leaves. It has blackberries and it has the crushed ice. It looks like a tiki drink. Yeah. I don't know if that's the history of it or not, but it feels like a tiki drink when you drink it. One other trait of the cobbler that we appreciated was the way it was served with a glass straw. Given the variety of ingredients and the large quantity of crushed ice in the drink, a paper straw would simply not work for drinking this cobbler. So Elmer leveled up with a glass straw, and it's a nice touch that greatly enhances a drink. Now, as consumers, I think we all have that one drink that's sort of our kryptonite, that alcohol or spirit that we just cannot stomach or get behind. For me, I hate the taste of black licorice, and I cannot stand for net. For Elmer, the drink that gives him fits, ironically, is sangria. That's right, sangria. Maybe the most well-known of all Spanish beverages and the drink that you think of when you think of a Spanish tapas meal. Being that you're a Spanish restaurant, you need to have sangria on the menu. You have to. You can't just call yourself a Spanish restaurant and have sangria. You let it slide before we started recording that you personally don't like sangria. Yeah. So <laughs> you how, <laughs> how do you come up with a sangria that 
you think other people will enjoy knowing that it's not your particular favorite drink. Yeah, it's kind of a... I guess, what's the history? Why don't you it's like a thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's a thing for me. I think everyone has that story of like, oh, I drank too much of this, now I hate it, or can't drink it anymore because it gives me a headache. Some people have it with tequila, some people have it with bourbon, gin, whatever. In my case, I guess sangria was like the thing. Red wine gives me a headache. It's been like that since I was able to drink. That's one thing. And then I didn't want... We put so much work and effort into this concept to be so involved and modern and different that I thought that sangria was really going to almost take away from all the work that we put into this thing. And people would just assume, okay, well, you have tapas, we'll have sangria, and we're done here. That's it, right? We got a drink, we got our food, we're out. I want to be more about the experience and everything else. So sangria wasn't my first choice to add on to the menu, but I knew that it was almost a necessity for a Spanish restaurant to do it. So I said, I hate sangria, but if I'm going to drink a sangria, I have to make the best sangria I've ever had for me to say, all right, I can sit down and have a glass of sangria. So I went down this rabbit hole of sangria and started tasting from different fruits, different days of fermenting, from different levels of bitterness to different wine varietals. And just different mixers too. And I think we finally nailed it maybe a week before we opened. A week? Yeah. Pushing it. Now, did you nailed it because you were a week away or did you actually got it? Would you put something on? I guess the question would be, if it wasn't perfect, would you have felt comfortable putting it on the menu? No, I think I had the opportunity to not put it on the menu because for one, it was going to be our first menu. So it wasn't like we were forced to do anything. Right? Mm -hmm. We were like, we're going to be who we are. And if we're not ready for this, we're just not going to put it on the menu. Same thing for the food. Like a lot of things didn't make it to the menu because it just wasn't ready. We'll probably come on to the next menu. But yeah, I remember we were testing out a bunch of recipes. And Carl, my bar manager, he was downstairs. We were changing literally like drops of this, one drop of this. It was nitpicking at that point, but I knew that it needed something else. So at some point, Carl was downstairs in the kitchen testing out three different ones at a time. And I was upstairs painting the parklets to get ready to open. So I was literally, one hand, I had a paintbrush. And on the other hand, I had a glass of sangria that we were testing out. And we would say, all right, let's add. We had a full-on, our sangria was developed on a painted parklet. That's basically That's how, awesome. it, how it was. He would bring up three samples. We would taste them. If we liked one, we knew that was the route we wanted, but we needed something else. It was just basically Carl just going up and down the stairs with different types of sangria while I was painting the parklets. <laughs> and then finally, we were like, all right, this is the one. Now let's try it with ice. And see how that oh, works yeah, out. There you go. Then we were like, all right, do we do like this kind of eyes or this eyes or how does it? And then it was like a whole nother day or two of figuring out the, the water dilution to it. And then we nailed it. Yeah. I was here the other day and we had it. And you, very good. Very unique. It's different. Very different. I love it. That's the sangria that I would drink. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I would too. And I will next time I come for sure. What is your, you, you talked about coming up with new items on the menu like how often do you expect to, to turn over new cocktails do you want to do it often obviously you guys are just getting started you're open what is your thought process there on when and why you'd want to do that i have to open a bunch of concepts before and usually your clientele is going to decide who you are 
and Red Window is just the same thing, right? We're only changing things that are not moving because we don't have the uh, luxury of hanging on to things too long because obviously they're spoiled. We wanted to change our menu every three months. Try to make it as seasonal as possible. Work with as many farms as we can. We want to be a very farm-driven, all about the produce, all about the ingredients. Because if we're not going to give people the amount of alcohol that they want, we might as well give them the best product they'll ever have when it comes down to the quality. Every three months, change the cocktail menu. We're new. Usually, my job is a lot easier than it is here because things just won't sell. And you know that those things are coming off. In this case, everything is selling. So it's a great problem to have. But now I'm thinking, do I just change the menu just to please me on like what I want to put in there? Because you do have that. Obviously, in this conversation, you've talked about a couple of times you like to get a little in the rabbit hole of certain things. So you might just find like a certain vermouth that you've had at one point. Like, how can I mix this in the menu? I mean, every day when we're tasting the cocktails, I'm just like, well, maybe the straw should go this way or it should go this way or whatever. Let's change the ice to different ice. So I think if I change it, it's because uh, the menu needs to be a little more mature and it needs to grow and it needs to evolve. But it needs to be a natural evolution and not something that I'm like, forcing. And right now, people are taking it in. We've only been open for three months. This is a baby of a restaurant. So what we've been doing so far works and people are excited about it. I think when I'm really going to think about changing things is when I start to see people that are not as excited so I'll get back in the kitchen. It's time for the last call segment with Elmer. Based on his 15 plus years in North Beach and his variety of experiences in hospitality, we hope that he'd bring something good to the table. And he did not disappoint. Well, so far, so good. Everything that I've had since when I came to visit the other night to today has been awesome. So congratulations on that. You've done a great job. So this last segment here, I gave you a little warning before time, but it's called the last call segment. What is that story that you have that is outrageous and we can keep it anonymous to those individuals who are involved because it could be someone who's in the industry. I don't oh, know. Oh, I'm calling people okay, out. Okay, cool. Right there now. We go. <laughs> <laughs> just teed it up. What is that story that you have that is just like... I have a list okay, of names. What is that one event or moment that happened that you were like, I'm taking a swig for this one? <laughs> oh, man. I have some stories, but uh, I think the weirdest and funniest one I've, I have is I was managing a whiskey bar in Oakland. It's now closed. Not because of this thing to happen. <laughs> it just closed. Yeah. <laughs> this was not pandemic related. No, it closed. It on did its not own. close because of this specific uh, oh, thing oh, this to happen. Yeah, oh, exactly. okay, not even a pandemic. <laughs> oh, wow. It's, it closed a couple of years ago. It was my first time I've worked in Oakland because all my places I've always worked in San Francisco. I opened a few in Oakland, and this one was already open when I started there. But it was a big space, and it had a couple weird little entrances. We had the front, then there was like two in the back. But there was always so many people in and out that there was a, an event space that we had in the back that had its own entrance for like VIPs because a lot of basketball players would go and have dinner there because we were in Oakland. So it was like the Warriors or, you know, just a bunch of the Raiders would go in there all the time. Too Short would have his crazy party there too. One night we were, I mean, it was a weekend night. It was a Saturday. It was nuts. Like we were crazy packed. I think there was something happening in Oakland that it was just nuts. So we all closed down. I closed down the bar. At that point, I wasn't closing the restaurant. He was the, the floor manager closing the restaurant. So he closed the restaurant, but he forgot to check the private space in the back. And there was this homeless lady that came through 
and was hiding under a table. I guess when all the lights went off, she just got up and she was literally like she sat at the bar. Like she poured herself a bunch of drinks. She was just like hanging out. I don't know how it happened, but I don't think he put the alarm on. So she was just doing her thing. So she goes all night drinking. We looked at this video the next day. We were like, what the hell just happened? This lady gets out of the room, goes to the bar, starts drinking a bunch of random shit, like schnapps and like not even. We had bottles of whiskey that were like $5,000. No idea. She was literally drinking like the well vodka and like the schnapps that we had back there. She was drinking all the random shit. And she passes out sitting at the bar around 5.30 in the morning. She wakes up, goes to the kitchen, makes herself breakfast in the, in the kitchen, goes back to the bar, turns on the TV, starts, starts eating her breakfast and having a drink. By around like 7, seven or so, we didn't open till dinner time because we were just a dinner house. So till like seven or something, she went back from how she came in through the private space and left. So there was a lady that stayed overnight, drank, slept there, made breakfast, and then left. When we looked at the camera, we were like, why not? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like this point. And also, it, it could have been worse, I guess. I mean, I'm sure you guys had a full-on clean after that for sure. But stops, okay, not terrible. Like breakfast, it could have been worse. You know, TV, so be it. Yeah, she was just full-on made herself some eggs, found the bread, did it up. I mean, that was like a full-on vacation. I love it. Yeah, she'll, she'll always remember that <laughs> night. To, to you, homeless lady in Oakland, I, I hope know. you enjoyed it if you're listening. Yeah, good, good for you. That was awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for your time today, Elmer. It was a pleasure getting to know you, but also the story behind Red Window and Little Red Window. And we honestly want to give you all the good vibes for continued success. But for the audience out there, like, how can they find out more about Red Window, Little Red Window? Thank you. Yeah, so we are now open uh, Wednesday through Sunday. They can find us online on our website at deedredwindow.com. All of our reservations go through Talk. And every time Red Window is open, Little Red Window is open. So Wednesday through Sunday, same hours, all takeout. Eventually, we're going to, now that things are opening up, we're probably going to extend our hours or out on a day. But for now, Wednesday through Sunday. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. And everyone needs to check this place out. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Again, that's Red Window at 500 Columbus Avenue, the intersection of Columbus and Stockton. In addition to their website, you can check them out on Instagram at redwindowsf. Be sure to stop by for a cobbler or some empanadas to go and let them know that the muddler sent you. On the next episode of The Muddler, we're just going up the road to Broadway Street to focus on China Live's Cold Drinks Bar. The Muddler is a Studio Pod Media original podcast. I'm your host, TJ Bonaventura. Our writer is Joey Mezzatesta. Editing and music provided by Notalap. For more information, make sure you subscribe and rate us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Go to themuddlerpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at themuddlerpodcast.com.